Thank you for listening to the Surviving Loving an Addict podcast. The views expressed in this podcast must not be interpreted as personalized medical advice. Those experiencing addiction and those with loved ones experiencing addiction are urged to seek medical attention and professional counseling from providers experienced in addiction therapies and treatment. Hey, welcome again. My name is Karsten Millward. Welcome back to the Surviving Loving an Addict podcast. With me, of course, is my father, the man, David Millward. Dave, Dad. It's great to be back with you again. I'm really excited about this. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about one of the symptoms of the disease of addiction. So one of the symptoms of the disease of addiction, and every disease you have to understand has symptomology. There's certain things that you look for. Um, you know, perhaps uh, not being a doctor, but let me throw this out anyway. If you call a doctor and say, I itch a lot and I'm peeing all the time, he uh, might say, well, let's come in and check you for diabetes because it has certain signs and symptoms that people can look at and, and they can follow. Well, the disease of addiction has symptomology also. And the one I want to talk about specifically is one that uh, troubles family members as well as addicts. Now, they all do. But this one, one of the signs and symptoms of addiction or being an addictive, actively involved in your addiction is inability to tell the truth. And uh, for somebody who is not familiar with this, inability to tell the truth sounds like a farce because you might think to yourself, well, you just speak the truth, open your mouth, say what's real, put it out there. But because it's a symptom of a brain disease, it goes a lot deeper than that. And so if we can explore just a little bit on this particular podcast, maybe it will help family members and addicts also come to understand what's really going on. So there's a term we use a lot called denial. And people might look at denial and say, well, they're just making a choice to ignore an issue. When in reality, denial is a mechanism that our psyche uses to protect us from things that might be too painful or difficult for us to look at. And so our psyche actually puts a roadblock up, puts a, a barrier up there where I can't even, as the addict, I can't even discriminate between truth and lie. And, and it's a great acronym, denial, don't even know I'm lying to myself. But it's a process that our psyche uses to protect us from things that are too painful and difficult. Okay? So let's talk about it for a minute. So the big lie of addiction. Now, this isn't Dave Millward's theory of the big lie of addiction. This is actually right out of the, uh, the books from school. It says, the big lie of addiction says this. The big lie says, if you truly knew me, if you knew where I've been, what I've done, who I've done, who's done me, if you knew how I think, thought, think, felt, if you knew everything in my head, you couldn't like me. Because I know all this crap in my head and I can't stand me. In fact, you know, kind of the, one of the core or the roots or the kernels of addiction itself is a loathing that I have for myself. I can't stand who I am. And because I can't stand who I am, I look for ways to be able to numb it out, to be able to forget about it. And so drugs and alcohol are a very convenient way for me to not have to think about who I really am. And one of the things that 
you know, I, I hear said all the time when family members will confront a loved one, they'll, ask, they'll say, look, honey, I love you. You're, you can tell me anything. It doesn't matter what you say. I love you and it will be okay. Well, the problem is, is for the addict, you run it through the filter of, what if you truly knew me, you wouldn't say that. Because I know me and I can't stand me. So doesn't matter how you beg and plead and how you, you, know, you put your case out there about how much you love them and it's all right and you can tell me anything. The truth is, is that if I tell you something and you say, oh my gosh, how horrible, you are such a rotten person, it would verify my worst fears of myself and I couldn't live with that. So on that premise, my psyche won't let me be honest and truthful with you because I'm trying to protect myself from something that could, in my mind, ultimately destroy me. How easily do you think it is for a loved one to pick up on... Let's So someone loves an addict and it's going through those feelings. I assume they live in their conscious thoughts, but more so in their subconscious. Yeah. And how easy is it for the loved one to pick up on that or to even sense that? Because I think that a lot of addicts probably are good at putting on a show. They can put on a show to say, life's good, I'm happy, all is well, when in reality they're going through a, self, a self-loathing and really struggling. So how, easy, how easily can an addict hide that? Well, that's, that's, that's one of the basis of their existence is hiding from the stuff that they hate so much about themselves, right? And so um, how easily does a loved one pick up on that? Well, not very well. What a loved one does is they hear a lie, and it's an immediate assault on them, right? You lied to me. That means that you don't care about me. Because if you cared about me, you'd be honest and open with me, Right? And so the loved one, you know, um, hears a lie and runs it through their filter of, well, if I lie to somebody, it's because I'm being deceitful, because I am being disingenuous or, or a bunch of other things. And so if that's what I'm doing, because you're lying to me, you are being deceitful and you are being disingenuous and you are trying to get away with things. So you're saying, I, I hear what you're saying with the filter. I, I put myself in the shoes of, I lie for certain reasons. So if you're lying, you must be lying because of one of those reasons. Right. But there's another layer that I'm not seeing. The layer that you're not seeing is the one that says, I can't bear the thought of losing the relationship, losing this person in my life of being exposed for the piece of crap that I am. And because I see myself that way, because I I hate me, if I am honest and open with you, you will hate me also. That's a scary place to be. And it's really interesting on on dealing with that. Well, you know, if, if a loved one can't be honest with their 
know, if the addict can't be honest with a loved one, then how are they going to ever be honest with anybody else? I mean, there's acceptance and kindness and all those things we hope from loved ones. But it's a really interesting process that you have to go through as an addict or as you go through as a counselor or that you can go through as a family member to break through that barrier of denial, to break through the, the place of, of um, withholding the truth. Yeah. As a counselor, part of my job is developing a therapeutic alliance. A therapeutic alliance doesn't just happen. And what it means is, is that we build a relationship where you trust me and I trust you. So as I build a therapeutic alliance as a counselor, part of what I do is I help a person come to see that no matter where they've been or what they've done, I'm not going to be shocked. I'm not going to be disgusted. I'm not going to be upset. I'm not going to be disappointed with the stuff that they have floating in their head. Um, now, obviously, as a counselor, it's a little bit easier for me to be emotionally, you know, separated from their acts and, and what's going on. But to get to the place where they can finally be honest, we have to bring them along and help them understand that where they've been or what they've done isn't as reprehensible as they might imagine in their own minds. You make an interesting point. As a loved one, uh, the expectation that I'm the, the addict that I know is just going to flip a switch and start confiding in me. That this is just a step that they could just take on their own and start telling me the absolute truth is unrealistic. Right, because you, you're you're talking about a therapeutic alliance, and the addict has no stake in impressing you or maintaining a relationship with you per se. Right, right? the same way that they would with their loved one. Right. So it would okay. So that's important to note is that it would be unrealistic to expect an addict to just instantly flip a switch and start telling me the truth. Right. And I. Sh shouldn't feel jealousy or concern that they're able to talk to a counselor and tell them things that they're not able to tell me. Right. Or that there would even be secrets there because they're having to practice saying things that they're not used to saying right. to anybody. And that they're absolutely not ready to say to me at this, at this point in time. And, and it's interesting, practice saying things, one of the things they're practicing doing also is letting skeletons out of the closet. So through this therapeutic alliance and this trust that you build with another person and helping them to understand that where they've been and what they've done isn't as reprehensible as they think it is or it's not as ugly, because one of the things that happens is as we hold the secret inside, as we hold these things in our heads, they grow into these huge monsters. And so as you develop a therapeutic alliance and you start to work with the client, and they're able to let little pieces of secrets out. And that's what will happen for anybody that goes through it. And I don't care who you are. This is how it happens. Is that um, if I'm sitting talking to a client and they will try me, they will let out a little bit of information to gather my response. Now, whether they know they're doing it or not, this is just how it works. Okay. So I'm going to give you a little bit of something and see what you do and how you respond. 
tip of the iceberg stuff. And if you, now let's take it back to being a family member, if somebody, you know, you get to that point and they're willing to let out a tip of the iceberg piece of information that they've been holding on to, if your reaction is one of surprise or disgust or, or anger or any of those kinds of things, if you blink. Or a broken heart. Oh boy, a broken heart will shut it down. Let's even just say, if you blink, it shuts off all of that. It says, that's a signal that says, you're done, I'm not going to say anything else. Because I don't trust that you can handle what I have. We talked for a moment about the, the thought, if I shared with you who I truly am, that, that thought process, mm-hmm. and you didn't love me afterwards, it would destroy me. Yeah. I imagine the concern also exists with if you really knew who I was, it would destroy you. Yeah, you know what? It's interesting because at this point, my self-preservation is more important than worrying about destroying you. Okay, My self-preservation, being able to hold on to me right now is going to trump worrying about you. Now, now there are things that, you know, uh, further up the food chain, you know, the, the smaller little things, I'm going to disappoint you, upset you, and all that. You know, and I worry about that. You're going to be mad. You're going to be upset. You're going to be disappointed. But when we start talking about that I hate me place that comes from, you know, my beliefs about myself and how I see me, now we're talking self-preservation. Now we're talking about if, if you knew this and you were disgusted, then I'm going to be abandoned. Then I'm going to be you know, left all to myself. And that's going to destroy me. So that takes us from, that helps me better understand the symptom of addiction that we're talking about, the inability to tell the truth. Because an, a person who is concerned about someone else's feelings, um, if, I to, if, if I tell you this, it might hurt you. They might still have that ability to make the choice. I'm going to tell the truth. But somebody in dire straits, somebody in true addiction is is in a terrible mode of self-preservation. Yes. And they actually can't can't tell, tell the truth. Can I go there? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, I'm glad we clarified this, right? So. It, it is a condition of my active disease state. Okay, when I'm actively engaged in my behavioral issues of addiction, addictive behaviors, and all that, that's when I can't tell you the truth. I can't go there. Um, self-preservation, being okay. You know, part of my drinking and drugging is about being okay, numbing the feelings that I have. You know, part of the reason of, of drinking and drugging is I don't like who I am. I don't like how I feel. And I'm looking for a way to change the way I feel. And so when you use drugs and alcohol, it uh, absolutely numbs your emotional responses. It numbs you. Things are just fine. Things don't bother you. don't worry you. You don't worry about the baggage that you have in your head. It shuts the voices down. And so, you know, 
it becomes a really interesting issue to try to get somebody to want to quit using drugs and alcohol when my fear is if I quit, then I have to confront who I am. And the fear of that is overwhelming to me, so I you know, maybe don't have that motivation to quit. And, and, you know, one of the things that I just find really interesting, in, especially in the treatment world, I, I'm always shocked when I hear another clinician or another counselor uh, who is upset because they had a client who lied to them. And it's, if we understand, you know, the process and, and if we understand the disease state of addiction, if we understand all this, how could we possibly be surprised, disappointed, upset if somebody lies to us. It, it's one of those things that, first of all, you kind of have to take a face value that they can't be totally honest with me right now. I say totally honest because here's you know a unique game that we play as addicts is we throw out little bits and pieces of stuff, just enough to, to um, make somebody believe that we're being forthright and totally honest. But it's part of a game, and the game is I'm going to hold on to the bigger things, and I'm, you're not ever going to find these out. In fact, one of the interesting things I've discovered over years of doing this is I'll have people that have been in multiple treatment programs. They'll go through, and typically in a treatment program, you write an autobiography that talks about who you are, where you came from, and all these things. And, and in one the first autobiography, they let out a little bit of information because the other clients in the facility and the counselors will go, oh my gosh, what a wonderful, you know, that was so telling and that you just did so much work. And, but, you know, truthfully, they did some work. But I'll find people that after multiple treatments have things that they have decided no one will ever know. They're taking it to the grave with them. So they'll put out all kinds of information. They'll give part truths. So they'll say all kinds of things. But they hold on to these little pieces of but nobody's going to know this. Nobody can ever find this out. Nobody's ever going to, you know, be able to get this out of me. I will take it to my grave. See, I'll take care of all these other things, and then I can still manage this one little secret that I have. And the problem with the secret is that the secret grows and grows and grows, and the, the ugliness of it gets darker and deeper and stinkier. And there's an amazing thing that happens when somebody finally tells on themselves. When you have been able to break through the denial, break through the barriers, break through all this that they hold on to to protect themselves, when you're able to get through that and they finally say something that they've been keeping a secret, and me as a clinician or another person doesn't fall off your chair or doesn't... Uh, you know, cover your face and run away in disdain, or when that doesn't happen, to watch the weight lift off that person's shoulders is unbelievably, uh, it's a sweet experience to discover that all that they thought they were or the horrible person they thought they were wasn't true. And that's a part of how recovery begins. What would you say to our listener right now who is loving an addict and sees them 
unable to tell the truth? Okay. That's a wonderful question. So I think one of the most valuable pieces of advice in this process, you, you love somebody, you care about them, and they're not able to tell the truth. What you do is you, you, you have to look at their behaviors and their actions and ignore their words, which sounds kind of harsh, but words can spin stories. Words can tell great adventures and horrible things and all this kind of stuff that that, that can, you know, mislead and misguide, all that. But the truth is in actions and behaviors. Example, you say to somebody, uh, are you looking for a job? And the person is on their, their uh, Switch or their Xbox or whatever, and, you know, 24-7 on, you know, playing. Well, and they say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to look for a job. I'm, I'm looking for a job. Well, the truth is, no, you're not. You're playing Xbox or you're playing this. You're not looking for a job. And so the words of, yes, I'm looking for the job versus the actions of, I'm spending every day all day playing Xbox, you trust the action. You trust what's going on, not the words of what they say. That way, we don't continually set ourselves up to be hurt. Oh, he said he's going to go out and look for a job. You come home, he's playing Xbox. I can't believe it. You let me down. You know, it's it's like, you said you're going to go out and look for a job. Let's see what the behavior is. Ah, you did go out and look for a job. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Or you come back, they didn't look for a job. Okay, you know the truth of what's going on. Would you say it's the responsibility of the loved one to get to the bottom of the truth? Is that something that you would put on their shoulders? Well, look, I don't believe that a loved one will get to the bottom of the truth. Ultimately, they will they will like an onion peel away different layers of it. As 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 an addict, I feel desperate or whatever. I may peel away certain layers and give them certain pieces of, of truth. But I think that truthfully, this is one of those things where addiction isn't just about not taking a pill or, or not drinking a, a, a you know alcohol. This is where actually the counseling component comes into the treatment of addiction, the behavioral issues of addiction. And, and to get to the bottom of something um, is going to take somebody that's got some professional know-how, some patience and understanding that can uh, help a client get there. Now, one of the reasons you don't, you know, you, as a clinician, you can't treat a family member is because all of my therapeutic integrity is gone. My emotional connection to the person blinds me from being able to see truth and my, my emotions get in the way of being able to treat them appropriately. As a clinician, um, my job is to be objective and be able to be honest and truthful and to not become emotionally involved to the point where I can't ask honest questions and, and accept feedback and honest answers and work with the client with what they give me. As a family member and a loved one, that's a little bit difficult. Yeah, this is tricky. So you would say that the, the family member shouldn't worry about getting to the bottom of the truth. But 
accept and realize that there are going to be lies and help push for the addict to to get into counseling, get some help. Now, let let me say on this also, right? Because we're we're making the assumption that that the loved one is in it to win it. They're in it to stay and they're going to be there. um, But you also have to keep in mind that in this process, because we're talking about being able to deal with somebody who's lying to you, and no matter what, I mean, even if it's something they can't see they're doing, whether it's, you know, part of this disease state, you know, most of us have a very difficult time if somebody lies to us, a loved one's lying to us. And so you also have to remember that as a loved one, if you get to that place where you cannot continue to be with that person because you can't wait through the lies or wait through the counseling, sometimes you get to a place where you have to make a decision. You might not be able to be with that person while they are struggling to be in recovery or struggling to to uh, get healthy. And um, that's coming up. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that because that's going to be self-preservation and how what you might have to do so that you can survive while your loved one is trying to get some help. I think that will be important. Talking about where to draw a line. I think let's let's call it quits for this one. Thank you for joining us on the Surviving Loving an Addict podcast. I'm Karsten. And I'm Dave Millward. Have a good night.